this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Oh, sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Welcome to the Mad Men Happy Hour, the officially unofficial podcast for Mad Men on AMC. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And this week we're covering Season 6, Episode 10, entitled A Tale of Two Cities. Uh, no, no idea why it's called A Tale of Two Cities. <laughs> Impossible to decipher this title. Uh, do you think there's more to it than just a New York, L.A.? Oh, of course. I mean, what do you think is happening with the uh, with SCD... P C G C D C C N P W T F O M G Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean there is a definite class struggle going on there for sure. Yep, yep. That's what I picked up on as well. Okay. Uh any other references you wanna you wanna play the name game with? Uh that's the two that jumped out at me. I just wanna get it over get it out of the way at the beginning of the episode. Alright. Okay. Uh uh yeah, do you what do you think of this episode? Man, it's super hard for me to judge because all the times I watched it, I was immediately following Game of Thrones, and Game of Thrones really, like, it's done this to me another time, where when Danny, uh, shit, I don't want to spoil it since it's a current season, but there was one time uh, Game of Thrones got me really pumped up, and it was hard for me to sit still watching Mad Men. Okay. This time, uh, Game of Thrones brought me crashing down, and it was hard to get back up for Mad Men. Oh. So... Couldn't get it up for Mad Men, huh? I'm... And... I don't know. Uh, I really, really liked it the first time I watched it. Subsequent viewings, I liked it less, and that's the first time that's happened hmm. to me at the Mad Men episode for a while. I'm gonna give it an 8. Yeah, I'm... Okay, so... I'm with you on why you might not have liked it as much the second time around, there weren't a ton of like things that you didn't notice the first time around that you would have picked up on the second time around, right? Yeah. I mean, it's all fairly straightforward here. Um, and this this season has had a few of those episodes. I mean, last episode was like that. Um, and there were a couple others, but I think this one especially. Uh, I mean, it, well, the title comes right down to it. Plus the druggy scenes, I initially... <laughs> Rated much higher uh-huh. because I was just looking for something to kind of like perked me up, and they were relatively yeah. humorous at least the start of they the, both of them were. Mm-hmm. And I, I wasn't totally impressed by him, honestly. By the third time I watched it, I'm like, oh, how many times are we going to see this in this particular era? Mm-hmm. And you know, again, it's it's entertaining, but 
it's it's every time they go back to that well, it seems like it has less of an impact. Yeah, the, you remember the first time they did it with uh, Roger's LSD trip? Sure, that was fantastic. Yeah, I mean when he smokes that cigarette and it's just gone. And then just, they, the novelty of the whole ad firm being on drugs a couple weeks ago was yeah. fun. This mm-hmm. was just, you know, kind of felt a little old hat. And also, like, I, what, that wasn't just hashish, right? There's no fucking way. <laughs> the Don trips you that trip hard. balls on concentrated THC. Uh, I, I, get, I wouldn't. I don't know about Don. If maybe Don's like a... Uh, I mean, it was just like, unless I had a bunch of peyote and... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't even know salvia <laughs> extract on it. May you know I could I could buy the intense visual hallucinations he was having. Yeah, yeah. I'll be honest, I've never done hash. Uh, but you could speculate. I can speculate on what it would be like. I'm guessing. Certainly. Yes. I don't have firsthand knowledge of your habits, Jim. But I can speculate <laughs> that you you could you could that I could speculate that you could speculate that you okay. could do that. A lot calculus. of speculation going on here. Yeah. Uh, I speculate that this was not the best episode of Mad Men. It was entertaining to watch. What did you rate it? On a, I'm about to on a Mad Men scale, I give it about like a six point five. Holy shit. On a, on a Mad Men scale, I mean, brutal body to, blows to the wiener. The wiener can't well, sustain this kind of. We'll body talk blow. about that later. <laughs> but on the Mad Men scale, there <laughs> there have to be some middling episodes, right? I mean, there can't all be eights and tens. Otherwise, why can't there they? are no one? In Aaron's world, they're all eights <laughs> and tens. All right. Well, I think some people will probably give me some shit, and some people will agree. Yes, uh, there have to be some middle roads. So let's uh, move into the recap. All right. We start off the week with the Democratic National Convention. Uh, the debates are going. Um, these are the primary debates uh, where they're actually picking the Democratic nominee. Mm-hmm. Um, we find out who that is, and I forget his freaking name because he lost the election and nobody remembers him. <laughs> um, but Don and Megan are both kind of discussing that. Um, Is it Barry Goldwater? No, no, wait. No. Uh, I know it wasn't that. Megan tells Don that he should stay away from actresses during his trip to California, and uh, he then jokes that he hates actresses. Uh, I think this was supposed to play off as just flirty talking uh, between them. Like, it just, because she makes a joke about her worst mistake being a Disney, and that's obviously when they had the kids out there and everything. Um,. And that's when she agreed to marry him, right? Yeah. Out of Disney. Okay. Uh, and then Don... Humphrey uh, was the person he ran against in 68. Humphrey. Okay. Uh, so I, I took this as just playful flirting, um, which was interesting to see. I mean, it's kind of an indicator mm. of maybe their relationship is getting a little better. I don't know. Uh, I took the exact opposite. I think this is a theme from okay. last week where he was basically telling her the truth. Yeah, yeah. In a very misleading fashion. And she's not hearing what he's saying. Yeah, she's like, I made the biggest mistake in my life. That's true. You know, <laughs> I hate actresses. <laughs> that just, is true. Yeah, I mean, he's just basically telling her, you know, he, he, I, like I said, that's my reading on it. I don't, I feel like he's trying harder, mm-hmm. but we've reached the point of no return on their relationship. Okay. Is my speculation. Well, we shall see in future episodes. Um, I kind of like that they open with Megan saying something and then Don yelling, what? Because <laughs> he can't hear it. Like, 
that feels like a real interaction to me. Uh-huh. Whereas most TV shows, yeah, they'd never do that. Why? Right. Why would they waste time with that? Um, it's real. It's very real. Raw. And these debates actually happened uh, August 26th through the 29th, 1968. So that firmly dates our episode. Chicago style. <laughs> we then move on to the partners uh, discussing who's going to go meet with Chevy. And Don is absent from that meeting uh, at first. And then he rolls in. And the meeting turns to the name of the company. And after some discussion, Roger decides that they should table it for later. Mm-hmm. Yep, Don and Roger being absent is a major theme and plot point of this episode. Yeah, definitely. And for uh, the last few seasons, honestly. Uh-huh. You know who else is absent from this meeting? The girl who's supposed to be taking the minutes. I forget her name. Meredith? Yeah. Meredith, yeah, the receptionist up front. Uh, is this even legal to tell your to tell the person taking the minutes to leave the room I'm sure. during a meeting? I'm sure. Really? It's a legal requirement. I mean, I don't, hell, I don't know. I don't know. Are they? They're not publicly traded, right? So, isn't the legal not requirement yet, yeah. that they keep minutes, not that they keep detail? I mean, I don't. Yeah, you might be right. I don't know. We're uh, not the world's best businessmen. No, all the time. <laughs> all the time, they ask this girl to step out, though. Yeah, she uh, she never gets a chance to record the full meeting. Anyway, so we go over to the plane ride out to California, where Roger tries to get Don to loosen up, basically. Mm-hmm. And he's there studying his notes about, uh, what's the name of the company? I know they do Life Cereal and Carnation. Carnation. Oh, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was Carnation was the company. Oh, no, it's a, it's a, it's not General Mills, is it? Uh, I don't know. Why don't you keep talking and I'll look okay. it up. Sounds good. Um, Don is reading something about Sunkist here. So uh, apparently that's another. I one think of the Carnation is the nut company, or wait, yeah, because it was a it was uh, Carnation is a company it was acquired by Nestle in 1985 for three billion. Jeez, that's a lot of fucking powdered chocolate milk. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, so why why are they concerned with life cereal then? Because they're a competing interest. Yes, it's a conflict of interest. Okay. I thought That's they were concerned arguing. because it was another one of their products that they didn't want them no, well, to lose the, I focus was on. Mildly confused the first time I watched that too, but yeah, subsequent viewing's kind of cleared that up for me. Okay, cool. You slackjawed, <laughs> ignorant yokel. Uh, speaking of slackjawed, ignorant yokels, I like how they didn't sit with Harry on this plane. Like Harry's nowhere to be found. He's not across the aisle. He's not behind oh, them. See, I thought my take on that he went out there as an advanced scout to set all this stuff up. Oh, maybe he did. Yeah, that that's why explain. he had the car ready and uh-huh. kind of they were he was settled into the hotel before they were and he had already had the kind of itinerary okay. ready. So you're just understanding this episode way better than I am. I'm apparently. telling you, I'm just, I'm just on top of it. Can't explain it. <laughs> the peaks and valleys of the Jim Jones insight. Right. All over the place. Uh, directed by Slattery, this episode uh, once again. And it appears to me that Roger always gets some of the best lines in the episodes where John Slattery is directing. Because hmm. he got some good ones this episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, this plane ride On the was other hand, fantastic. he was kind of humiliated by Danny. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. but... Kind of humiliated. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. He he deserved everything he got. There, yeah, he though. did. We'll, we'll get Can't there. wait to talk about that. We, we actually... We started talking about this several times, and I, I nipped it in the bud every single time. Yep. It's like, save for the cast, because there's a lot to talk about. Definitely. 
we go back over to Ginsburg and Cutler, and uh, we're in the creative bullpen there. And uh, I forget exactly why Cutler comes over, but Ginsburg he starts wants... railing him about the war. Well, uh, he's he's concerned about the Manischewitz meeting. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and Ginsburg is too busy listening to the radio to pay any attention to his work, or so Cutler thinks. Uh, so they argue about the war and their involvement in were it. You, were you all hooked up during this episode, trying I, to get into yeah. the spirit of the 60s? I did hash, and uh, I dropped some acid, and <laughs> <laughs> I smoked a Sammy. So I smoked a Rizzo. <laughs> Shot some mescaline right into your eyeball. Yeah. Uh, this is another fantastic scene. I mean, we don't see much action from Ginsburg, right? Uh No. I mean, we haven't lately. Right. He's kind of been in the background, and a lot of focus has been on other characters. Uh, so it was good to see him, and kind of, we know he's always been a little bit of a radical, uh, kind of kind of similar to Stan and um, Peggy to a certain degree. Um, <laughs> maybe on par with Abe? I don't know. I can't tell. Hmm. How do you think they shake out? you think they'd be best buds if they hung out, if they smoked a... Uh, a Rizzo together? I don't know. I feel like, um, no, I don't, well, I mean, they, they speak the same language, but I feel like there's something with Ginsburg that's fundamentally off kilter. And he's about the hmm. age where kind of, you know, mental illness starts to Ooh. kind of manifest itself, isn't it? Like, you know, late teens, early 20s. Could be. Yeah. And, I mean, he seems like he, I mean, I don't know how much to take of his overheated rhetoric to take at face value and how much, you know, when he's talking about getting transmissions to do harm, <laughs> if that's like a literal thing, like he's got voices in his head because yeah. he does seem like he just, you know, building on last season's impressive amount of work. He's really layering on the crazy, mm-hmm. uh, this season. There's actually yeah, a I- lot of interesting internet theories about him. Um, I mean, Mad Men seems to be the breeding, the breeding ground of conspiracy theories at this point. This is so weird, right? Because the, <laughs> there was a lot of that around Breaking Bad as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe in a, stuff a little less out serious way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Breaking Bad feels more like a show that will do that. Yeah, Mad Men doesn't really. Mad Men just feels like it's got this kind of meandering path to where it wants to go, and things are going to happen along the way. But there aren't really any like big twists like that you well know? but i mean they have foreshadowed things before like the assassination of jfk the way they staged that um with the uh hairspray commercial where they're all kind of staged in a, a mock car and mm-hmm. um i mean i do think they do enough of this symbolism that it's there to be analyzed but I also f- feel like the internet is kind of like going crazy one of the yeah. ones I saw was they're speculating that Ginsburg is actually going to turn out to be like a crazy uh, Norman Bates-style murderer. And someone said that <laughs> they he actually murdered the girl he's out on a date with. Oh, she's dead? She's in a ditch somewhere right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's going to have like some kind of dolls and attic type collection going uh, on. What? Yeah, how's man. he gonna do that with his hey, dad living with him, or his his fake maybe, dad? Maybe his dad's in on. Maybe his dad. <laughs> have we actually seen his dad interact with someone? Maybe it is a truly Norman Bates situation. That could be. 
Could be. Well, I don't that's know. not even his real dad. I mean, no, he's not. a Martian, number one, so he can't possibly have a human father. You've been reading too much of our listener feedback. <laughs> but number two, he's like just a wizened old corpse in a rocking chair in Ginsburg's apartment, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Is what we're supposed to believe. All right. The wiener's transmitting that thought directly into my head. <laughs> Via the airwaves. Via the inter- internet. Yeah. Uh, all right. I'm, I was just kind of surprised by this scene. Like I was saying earlier, we haven't seen a ton of action from Ginsburg. I don't know where all this rage is coming from. It's like we haven't seen him react that violently towards well, anything we saw, before, right? We saw he's very little... passionate, but he's he seemed to have more of a level head than that. Yeah, I described him as ape shit in my notes. Yeah, um, completely. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there was calling a, there... his boss a Nazi, one of the partners, yeah. shouting it in the middle of the office to be fair cutler did not i mean i feel like a lot of people know how to handle ginsburg and cutler not only has no interest (laughs) in doing so i feel like well it's not i feel like it's obvious that he's trying to fracture things yeah so this is you know like even ted is like real why are you fucking with this guy he's lightning in a bottle he's one of our most talented creative types yep why can't you just fucking coddle him and you know he just threw Ginsburg in his face that, you know, you're a, I mean, this led and this, this conversation led to his mental breakdown, calling him a hypocrite, you know, a hippie yeah. that cashes checks from Dow chemical. And, you know, these are all these former military guys. I mean, Rogers military, Don's military. We found out that the, the gyms, you know, kind of mm-hmm. was said he's in the air force, which is a slight anachronism. Um, how so? So the Air Force didn't exist before World War II, and he's Roger's age, if not a little bit older. Yeah. So, so he couldn't have been in the Air Force. Yeah. Bastard. I mean, it's called the, I believe it's called the Army Air Force or Air Corps. So maybe they did just refer to themselves informally as Air Force. Could be. I don't know. Uh, I had a couple uh, notes on Facebook and a notice on Twitter that people were questioning that. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, and then Bob Benson tries to step in, gets his ass chewed yeah, by everyone. Why are you always down here? Go back upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> that was incredible. Mm. I mean, he's he's an uh, an accounts guy, an accounting guy, not an accounts guy, right? Mm-hmm. He should be upstairs. Uh, but no, he's his... an account guy. He's a very junior account guy. Is my take on it. Okay, well, not anymore. Not after this episode. Uh, anyway, after the argument, Cutler goes to Teddy and suggests that they fire the SCDP creative team. Uh, Ted refuses, and he tries to explain that they're all on the same team now, but Jim doesn't see it that way. And we also find out that Cutler is taking Ginsburg to the Manischewitz meeting. Uh, good interaction here. I like how uh, crazy... Uh, what is his name? Cutler seems, and how level-headed and right on Ted is. Wait, why do you say that Jim is crazy? Because he just wants to get rid of everybody. Why? I understand those are not your guys, but now they are. Like Ted's trying to tell him, "Look, we are. We don't want to divide this company. We want to unite it. What are you doing?" Yeah, but I feel like that's a pretty realistic in person. That's a pretty realistic take on a. You know, type A, high-performing, 
alpha type businessman that they see life as a zero sum game Mm-hmm. and these other guys are getting over my guys and they're not working as hard as me and I'm going to take advantage of it. And and I feel like yeah. He also feels like probably that I mean he's not going to he's not looking three steps in the future where Don and Roger are going to fuck him over but good. You okay. know, because like right now that's the big problem with right this whole now, plan of his. Roger and Don are basically sleeping giants. Yeah, they you know, it's like they're preoccupied with other shit. And Rogers, like you know, since he's landed Chevy, he don't you know he's basically content to rest on his laurels. Obviously, in this episode. Yep. So, but but Jim's why short sighted? He doesn't see that. Where Ted is a little bit more self aware and much less alpha charging executive dude. Yeah, I I understand that maybe his attitude is blinding him a little. Certainly, um, his I feel like his focus should be on the bigger agencies that they're competing with. I mean, they had to join up to form this agency that was just barely big enough to handle ship. Yeah, but are you think they're reading? He's reading their own pet press because you know, outside the agency, they're seen as the you know twenty was it twenty nine Yankees the twenty seven Yankees yeah. the murderers row. So maybe J- he's thinking. Yeah, but once he starts, we don't this... have to worry about. It. Everybody else has to worry about us. <laughs> once he starts this revolution, the company is going to split up, or something is it is what going just... to happen within this company to cause it to rot from the inside. I mean, Jim is that thing right now. What if he just forces Don and Roger out? Then he then he's effectively <laughs> stolen the company. How he can't force them out? Sure, you can. How? How's he going to force them out? I mean, buy them most off. of the partners are SCDP. Most? Yeah. How? Joan, Don, Roger, Cooper. Well, Joan doesn't even get them invited in the room to partner meetings at this point. Um, she still has a vote. Bert seems like he's maybe more on the Ted and <laughs> that could be Jim true. side. Could That's be. The, he's the wild card, and it kind of worries me. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I just feel like this is doing exactly what Teddy said, splitting the company in pieces, and they can't afford that if they're going to keep up a client like Chevy. Right. Just seems like it to me. Uh, anyway, let's move on. Joan has a meeting with the head of marketing at Avon, whose name is Andy Hayes. Uh, she thought it was a date, but it turns out it was a business meeting. Yeah. Which... So my big question here is what's Bob doing? Um, if she's taking dates, what is what does that say about their relationship? Well, that it doesn't exist. That was I started coming on that theory last week. That those shorts and that relationship doesn't exist. Well, I mean, I'm really I'm really uh, flying the Bob is gay theory. Oh, really? I oh, I called really? it. La- I mean, I, I I subscribed to that last week and. <laughs> I see nothing. I mean, the fact that this guy, red, red-blooded male, apparently, mm-hmm. uh, didn't make time with Joan up again, apparently, mm-hmm. and Joan is dating other dudes that are not as good-looking or capable, apparently, apparently, as <laughs> apparently I'm using that word a lot, <laughs> okay. as Bob uh, Bob Bunsen. Yep. And um, yeah, I, and in fact, uh, shit. Ginsburg, Ginsburg yeah. who's a very perceptive, albeit, albeit odd person, <laughs> uh, kind of lampshaded that this week, did he not? Uh, so you think Bob's beaming messages into his brain, telling him he's gay? 
No, I just think that, you know, <laughs> the crazy dude's got a fully as a high functioning gaydar. All right. I don't know. It, I that mean, that came out of left fucking field. It totally did. In fact, I would almost think that if, if I didn't know that this show was completely wrapped before the season even aired, yeah. I'd almost think that Weiner was reading the press clippings and tweaking our nose. Yeah. But for him to put that out there, not, you know, had known the public reaction and all that stuff. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm not convinced of it. I mean, sure, he seems like a nice guy and all. This is starting doesn't make him gay. It's also because I've been corresponding with people and talking to you. This is all starting to run together. Do we talk about the Stonewall uh, uh, riots last week? Uh, no. So that's something that happened in '69. Where okay. the uh, New York police cracked down on uh, a couple of gay bars, the nightclubs, and one of them being, uh, I guess, a place called Stonewall. Okay. And there's actually uh, some riots and civic unrest over it. And that was kind of the birthplace of the modern gay rights movement. Mm-hmm. That's when those these things kind of started consolidating. Um, and so obviously that's the one. So, so the you know, Weiner's touched all over. Uh, gender oh, in America. It's touched, them all over. It's, tu- it's touched all over. You know, starting to in the last two seasons talk about you know overtly the the race, and we talked about class warfare and political differences and mm-hmm. the social differences. Well, so you think that's what we're moving towards? That in '69, one of the things that they're going to be about is this this beginning of the gay rights struggle. Mm-hmm. We don't have Sal anymore. Yep. Would not Bob Benson it's time be, for Bob to step up? Yeah, a good face for that. He could be. You could be right. You could be onto something. Because the other thing about evidence about Bob being gay is that he also was just a looky loo at the whorehouse. Oh, very true. Very true. So, hmm, very passionless. You know, non-sexual, non-attraction dates with Joan, uh-huh. which is an impossibility. <laughs> Uh, you know, disinterest in the whorehouse, Ginsburg with the... Uh, you're making a solid case. Thank you. Thank the, the, you. The, the facts are mounting, Bob Bunsen. You're going to have to come <laughs> out eventually. Uh, all right, let's move on. Uh, Joan goes to Peggy for advice on what to do about the... Uh... Oh, wait, wait. No, I skipped uh, a scene there where Cutler tells Bob Bunsen that he's taking his place at the Manischewitz meeting. Very, very... Uh... He gets a promotion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's, it's very savvy because it's kind of like, um, what show were we always talking about this? Where it's like he, it's it's a win win no matter what happens. Oh, we always talk about this with Justified at Limehouse, yeah, um, and uh, the Carpetbagger. So either you know Bob rescues the Manischewitz business and he's going to have a sense of personal loyalty to uh, Cutler. Mm-hmm. Or he completely expl- implodes, which kicks out a leg from underneath the Sterling Q faction of the the firm. It kicks a leg out from underneath him too. I I don't understand this dude. Uh, I don't think you understand office politics. No, I get it. It's just so stupid. I'll, it's just look, so stupid. Now that's self defeating. Yes, but that is real life, man. <laughs> Okay, I've watched I agree with it that. in fa- yeah. you know fast in, in great fascination. All right, well, I watched it this week in great fascination <laughs> and in a little bit of horror. Um, 
Yeah, and Bob Bunsen doesn't know what to make of this, man. He he walks away, looks back over his shoulder like, what just happened? Yeah, it was, you know, he first time I've ever seen him not play something cool. Yeah, definitely. Uh, anyway, so we go to uh, Joan, who is talking to Peggy, looking for advice on what to do about the prospect of meeting with Avon. And Peggy takes her out to see Teddy, who promptly assigns it to Pete. And Joan wants to go with them, but Pete refuses, telling her, don't worry, you'll get all the credit. Mm-hmm. Joan is definitely not satisfied with that. No. <laughs> not in the least. Uh, when Pete walks up, Teddy <laughs> tells him so his head of new business. Since when? Yeah. I don't want that. I don't want that. Like He's like, uh, you're in charge of leprosy. <laughs> I mean, why? <laughs> I don't... This is the other thing. It's like, I don't know... I should have called my buddy Nick. I don't know the ins and outs of sales guy... To know why head of new business would be such a shit job or something that Pete doesn't want. Right. Maybe it because it's like more a good work. Title. That's what I was wondering. I mean, does Pete feel like he's starting to become too important to do the jobs that like Don or Roger wouldn't be asked to do? See, that's my opinion. And, and yeah. I thought that was further reinforced when Roger's on the plane saying, you know, we're executives. Let the, yeah. let the grunts like Ted and I think then he mentioned Pete. He may have. Do the scut work. Well, mm-hmm. if you're, you know, new accounts is probably, you know, if, if you take Pete's later speech about, you know, I send you out for cake, you're not <laughs> supposed to eat it. So basically, uh-huh. you know, he's supposed to come in at the last, at the, at the five yard line, score the touchdown and then give it to some underling to take care of. And then he's only going to go in there for, you know, when a serious blow job is needed. Yeah. But so senior ex, uh, ad man just basically boozes and has an easy life. You know. Sounds nice. He's a closer. He's a closer. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. So Pete wants no part of that. Pete, uh, I, man. I, so he's he can't be trying to get into Joan's pants, right? Pete? Because yeah, I mean, Hell it no. seems like the last couple episodes he's been kind of flirty with her, well, but like Pete's asking an- her to stick around for drinks and walking her to cars and. He's an opportunistic predator. Yeah, uh, but and, now he's throwing all that out the window with this move. Well, but that's that ex- foundation is crumbled. That's the exact kind of dude he is, man. Yeah, <laughs> true that. Uh, we move on to Harry, Donna, Roger showing up in California <laughs> at the Vista Del Mar Hotel in a Mustang. Mm-hmm. Uh, not happy about that Mustang. No, the, for good reason. Not right? They're showing up... Uh, in a Ford, and their biggest client is Chevy. Yeah, Jesus, Harry. Stupid. Harry, you're an idiot. I also love... There are some really nice Chevy convertibles, too. <laughs> I also love the uh, the little detail, like you mentioned earlier in the, uh, the cast, about some little stuff of uh, Roger sh- or uh, Don shutting the door on Roger when he's in the backseat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then they're kind of like... And then asking him if he needs a hand out of it. Yeah, so they're kind of like low-level, old married couple bitchy to each other in several of these scenes. Yeah, definitely. And it feels like the Rogers wanting to get Don to go out, and Don's trying to be back to being a choir boy again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Don goes back to his room. Yeah. Uh, Roger presumably goes to the Sunset Strip. That's where he wanted to go. Right. Watch a girl dance in a cage. Uh, and Harry just takes care of the car. He gets the luggage and stuff. Yeah, I love when Don mentions the sunset, or someone mentions the sunset strip, and Roger's like ears perked up, and Don's like, "Oh, you heard that?" <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, so I'm kind of digging these Mad Men interstitial commercial things. 
Like the the one that specifically got me this time was when it was a flashback uh, the, where Roger has the heart attack, and he's on the the gurney and they're lifting him out, uh, and Don comes up and slaps him across the face. A man who's just had a heart attack mm-hmm. slaps him across his face firmly and says, "Your wife's name is Mona." That was funny. Uh, yeah, I, I, like I didn't see any of these this week cause I watched it. Um, I was about 20 minutes late getting the Mad Men because I needed a moment oh. after Game of Thrones. Yeah. Fast forward. Yeah. So I had to zip zip to kind of try to catch up and stay with what's going on Facebook. Yeah, There's another really good one in this commercial break with Peggy actually. Oh yeah. Uh, Ruth's telling her to move on, which seems uh, pretty relevant for this, the latest season. <laughs> yeah. It's called back to her and giving it right back to him. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so we go to the next scene. Jones folding laundry and watching some police brutality on TV. Uh, it looks like an episode of Cops. <laughs> Don's also watching it in his hotel room when Megan calls. And she can't believe what's happening. But Don says that they're basically getting what they deserve. You know, yeah, they brought of- rocks. They were prepared to cause violence. Uh, Don sees it as the protesters' fault. Continuing, continuing to be cynical. Yes, as she will point out. Uh, Megan gives Don permission to leave his hotel room and they hang up. I didn't know what to make of that permission thing. Like, why would Megan tell Don that he can leave his hotel room if he wants to? Oh, I don't know. It seems like... I'm the wrong guy to ask about that because... It just feels like their relationship is very rocky and they both know it and Yeah, they're kind of walking on eggshells or trying to be conciliatory, but... yes. But, like, I, I kind of reach for my gun whenever I <laughs> uh, hear people talk about terms of permission in mm-hmm. supposedly committed relationships. Like, fuck that noise. Yeah. You know, there's if you like, don't trust me enough to leave my hotel room, then plus I don't what need, are you doing? I don't, I'm a grown-ass man. I don't need anybody's fucking permission to do anything. <laughs> and you're a grown-ass woman. You don't need my fucking permission to do anything either. Like, don't yeah. fuck other dudes. Uh-huh. Don't spend all our money on some stupid shit. Uh, let's communicate about stuff we need to do, but otherwise, please have your own life. Uh, manly <laughs> advice from Aaron Hubbard. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, I also noticed Joan looked miserable in this scene. I mean, she was really disappointed what what happened with uh, which Pete is interesting, and also with these riots. She did like her. She yeah. These protests. These, yeah, these yeah, are yeah. not riots. These are protests. Although I gotta say, this is the best Joan, and for my money, best Jones looked all season. Not in this scene. Not in that in the okay. scene. But I'm talking about her right. makeup, the way she did her hair, the floral dress she was wearing. I was gonna mention that dress because like she wears these like fucking. I don't know what you call them, facade, full facade dresses where she's just uh-huh. like a Ticonderoga battleship just <laughs> steaming out to the ocean. Yeah, and that blue one she's wearing this episode was Yeah, good. it's like sometimes it makes her look almost unfeminine, which is a weird way mm-hmm. to describe her character. But this, you know, she's a little bit more uh, earth mothery. Well, a lot of times they'll have her in like a something that complements like her red hair, like a dark green mm-hmm. dress mm-hmm. or... Or, like, black dresses or red dresses. This time, they have her in very pastel colors, which I don't know if it just felt this way or if they actually did, but it felt like the color of her hair had changed a little bit and become a little lighter. And uh, her makeup was a little bit more pastel. Mm-hmm. Uh, not as, I don't not flamboyant, that's not the word for it, but not as noticeable. I don't know, she just looked different this episode. <laughs> so, hmm. Not sure well, I mean, like I said, I I can't. I mean, I have to go to Tom and Lorenzo to break it all down. But I just, I just notice what yeah. I like. 
Yeah, they do a lot of good stuff with the fashion and the the makeup and stuff, right? Well, they're yeah. I mean, they're fantastic all around, but that's their True. what they hang their hat on. Cool. Uh, moving on, Joan shows up for the meeting with Avon and tells Peggy that she didn't invite Pete. Uh, Peggy tells her that she can't do that, but Andy shows up before they can talk about it, and then they proceed to talk about the state of Avon's marketing and Joan leaning heavily on Peg uh, Peggy this scene well, right? it's hilarious because she completely cut her shit off and then goes right back to her and says, <laughs> and, uh peggy yeah and peggy was super bitchy about it as well mm-hmm. she should be and then yeah. joan's like you know joan's like peggy and <laughs> peggy's like yes joan like just <laughs> totally willing to have her squirm for a bit to make her point uh no i like it because it's uh, peggy's kind of showing her maybe you're a little out of your element here and you shouldn't have just jumped jumped into this massive client uh maybe pete's got a point a little bit but it's also amazing but at the same time she's not doing a bad job right yeah i mean she is holding her own for the most part what's interesting is she's got the same thing as don like don in a business meeting is different from don in every other situation like it's um an artificial smarmy charm yeah. And Peggy's got it mastered and she's very good. Mm-hmm. Like the way she pegged Avon's ad as unintentionally old fashioned. <laughs> yeah. Is I, I mean I, clearly I mean I'm not familiar with the work but it's brilliant enough that uh Andy's like, "Yeah, right on. Where can I sign? Mm-hmm. Please take all my money." Well, it's nice that they actually made a point of saying that Peggy was very familiar with Avon uh products and probably their marketing as well because Otherwise, I don't know how she could have known that it was intentionally old-fashioned or unintentionally old-fashioned. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think They covered their bases there. I don't think it's a lie that Peggy was, like, totally into Avon. Yeah, yeah. I think she, like, Don probably, you know, gilds a lily a little bit about how into, you know, how glamorous the Avon Maybe I don't know. So maybe it was some big fucking thing. Yeah, you you always want to flatter the client a little bit. Oh, I love your products. Margarine Mm. tastes so good. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so the boys, uh, the boys, Roger, Don, and uh, Harry, chatting with the Carnation executive, George, about the DNC troubles when Jack joins them. Uh, Jack is apparently higher up than uh, George is because he kind of runs the show here. Uh-huh. And he strongly disagrees with their stance on the presidential candidates. Uh, gets very angry, actually. Which I thought he was more liberal than they. But it he turns is. out, no, hell he? no, he's more arch-conservative. What? Yeah. He's like the long-haired fool shame this country. He wanted to see the jackbooted uh, thugs do okay. more jackbooted thuggery. When when he made his comment about uh, them giving the election to Nixon, well, that's, that's what, I'm what made me think he was more he, democratic. He thought Nixon is too soft. Uh-huh. His boy was Dutch <laughs> Reagan. Do you know who that is, right? The Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Ronald Reagan. Yeah, I assumed from context, though I've never heard the nickname Dutch. I hadn't either, um, but I looked it up, and yeah, I guess that's because uh, huh. he his father thought he looked like a fat little Dutch boy. <laughs> Which is hilarious. That's not a nickname I would keep. I know, but like my <laughs> grandfather went as Butch his whole life, his whole life, mm-hmm. because his father thought he looked like a fat little butcher's boy. <laughs> but like, yeah, like my dad well, called me dumb shit a lot, but none of my friends do. <laughs> uh, when you're running for president, <laughs> dumb shit Hubbard. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, old dumb shit. He's really my man, you know? <laughs> He's a real patriot. 
But yeah, I mean, I, I just did some research on Ronald Reagan at the time because, you know, I've only known him as his uh, kinder, gentler, jelly beaten, jelly oh, yeah. bean eating, happy warrior 80s self. Sure. But he was all about, uh, you know, smashing hippie face. Uh, <laughs> he sent the uh, National Guard out to quell uh, riots at UC Berkeley, uh, which ended up in the deaths of a few students and faculty. Wow. Um, he uh, never good when you kill kids. Right. Um, later on, uh, during a second uh, uprising at Berkeley, Reagan joked, it's just too bad we can't have an epi- epidemic of botulism uh, to wipe them all out. So, Jeez. yeah, he he uh, was not not too fond of the, the counterculture movement, apparently. <laughs> That's well put. So we got this arch conservative uh, pushing anyway, yeah. pushing dehydrated chocolate milk apparently. Which I <laughs> yep. thought that was also precious, you know. Uh these executives sitting around uh, in New York they're sitting around tables full of booze. Here it's tables uh, full of chocolate milk. Is that <laughs> is that indicative of the character of California? Well, I mean, there's certainly uh, a different vibe cities. and we see that. Yes, very it's much. It's a different vibe, but Roger sees these guys as country bumpkins and yokels. Yeah, yeah, I think he's wrong about that. Yeah, he's contemptuous and dismissive, whereas it's different, but don't mistake them as weak. Or... Yeah, I don't think the guy who runs a $27 million company ties his pants with a rope. <laughs> That's the line of the night. That yeah. was so funny. Yeah, but this was – um, I, I, I really got something from Alan Seppenwall's review. Several things, actually. But okay. first is that this is – you know, this is the point where L.A. is going to start to surpass New York. New York goes yeah, yeah. Is, is descending into – urban decay and crime and it really never really pulls itself back out until the 90s whereas la and california is kind of ascendant that's where Mm -hmm. the high-tech jobs are going to be found at. that's where the movie industry yeah yeah and as we see that there's a big switch you know nobody like don's incredulous that uh, a particular company is still doing print (laughs) only print Uh so it's like you know tv and movies are, are are where it's at yeah, and you really catch that vibe during the party. I mean, when they're yeah. trying to impress and talk up their their influence and their positions with right. these California guys, they don't give a shit. Yeah. They're like, you, yeah, you're New York boys, whatever. Right. Uh, anyway, so the rest of this scene, um, the, the uh, chocolate milk peddler demands to know how they can devote their full attention to uh, life cereal and also to uh, carnation. And he expresses a dislike of working with the New York agencies. And Roger and Don's respective charm and knowledge barely managed to turn this meeting around. And this scene, to me, is a perfect example of why Don and Roger have had so much success together. But I mean, Don is the guy who's got his head in the game. He's there with a plan and the information. And Roger has the charm. Roger just swings in, has a couple of whiskeys, well, a couple of waters. Uh, and whiskey and saves the day, you know? Although it's telling that, oh, yes, while he did salvage the moment, um, mm-hmm. ultimately this was yet another thing that is described as a bust. Yeah, yeah. So apparently they didn't walk away with any business from here. But the meeting totally changed tones when Roger made the joke about yes, their it, last girlfriend. Yes, they avoided a complete disaster, but it's all their wit and charm put together still was enough to turn the meeting civil. <laughs> yeah, it, true. If the meeting had begun civil, I oh. think maybe that, that charm and talent would have done a little bit more, you know? Mm. Maybe. Who knows? Yep. Uh, so we go back over to 
S C D P C G C D E. We got a heavyweight uh, fight. In the lobby, Joan and Peggy are discussing the Avon meeting that just went down. Oh, is that what they're doing? Discussing? <laughs> bare knuckle, bare yeah. knuckle brawling. Yeah, if anybody had a dick there, it would have been punched. Uh, <laughs> Peggy tells Joan that she could have had the business, but her stunt that she pulled guarantees that she won't. Um, and they argue about the right way to get to kind of the top of this industry, this business. Um, so who do you, who do you side with here? Uh, I side with Peggy. I do too. Okay. I think it's bullshit. Yes, totally agree. But you know, it's like I've uh, I've I've had this argument with lots of the colleagues. It's like sometimes you can kick at the goads all you want, but mm-hmm. sometimes business is what business is, and you buck that at your peril. Yeah, and I mean, as much as I hate to say it, Joan is only in the position she's in because she slept with. Uh, well, what's be space? careful. Her. I mean, Joan's capable enough. I, I'm not saying she's not. Okay, what you're saying I'm, is you're just you're stating this without you know any kind of prejudice. You're just saying that yes, the facts state that she wouldn't be in this position. She if would she not be a partner. Certainly, her she, her lusting after her. Okay, I agree yeah, with that. Absolutely, and she wouldn't have had. Eh, I don't know. So and while Peggy here is upset for Joan. She's not yes, mad at Joan. Yes. Which, she just wishes that Joan hadn't thrown away the opportunity that she had. Which, honestly, I thought Joan got lucky for not being punched because, Peggy, you're mm-hmm. right. She was upset for Joan, yeah. who mis- totally misunderstood that and went on the offensive. Yeah. And also, did you think that Joan has assumed all this time that Peggy did sleep with John Dunn? I don't know because I wasn't sure if because I couldn't I, tell if there was an implication there episode, or if Peggy just thought there was an implication. Yeah, I watched this episode three times and I wasn't sure whether Joan went for that weapon and found that it was disarmed or was so surprised that Peggy pulled that and then it interpreted her as an attack on her. Like, yeah. well, I didn't sleep with my boss to get ahead, mm-hmm. um, and I still I, I could I could see that the way it was played. I could see that being going either way. Yeah, I really don't know. And also, the other reason I side with Peggy is because while Joan has a lot of raw natural talent, mm-hmm. she she could have fucked up that meaning six different ways. <laughs> Without Peggy there, she probably would have. I mean, yeah. at some point, she just shrugged in yeah. the middle of a meeting. Right. She had no idea what to do. Yeah, I mean, guys like, you know... Uh, now, what I don't understand about Pete is why... Joan couldn't be there. Yes, yeah. I thought that to would at least been... shake hands and introduce. Like, yeah, and I, I understand his point is, you know, it's like you set him up, we knock him down, we come back, and you show him around the office, and we all. I mean, this is how it works. Mm-hmm. And you know, but he, again, like Pete, can't help but being a condescending prick, pointing <laughs> all this stuff out. And again, why he couldn't compromise by making it be a foursome for breakfast, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I think the biggest reason I'm on Peggy's side here is because, as she said, she did work her way up. And if Joan had worked her way up the way that Peggy did, she would have been able to handle a meeting like that on her own. Mm. I mean, Peggy certainly didn't learn. It certainly didn't go into her first meeting knowing everything about how True. to close a sale. True. Um, she sat with Don. She sat with all these other copywriters and everything. And figured it out slowly over years. And Joan just thinks that she's going to jump into it and be great at it. Yeah. That's good. the big problem I have with it. And, and this scene works so beautifully 
Um, and it's so it's it's got this great ambiguity and this like natural flow because of their shared history. Yeah, like this is season one, Peggy. This is this is arguments that was all subtextual in season one. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, and now we hear them articulating what they were feeling six seasons later. It's kind of fantastic. It, it's like, a really good scene. Like Peggy had Joan dead to fucking rights. Joan was trying to yeah. rewrite all this shit. It's like, you know, I never did this to you. She's like, bullshit. You did it to me every day. <laughs> and what's worse, you didn't think I could do it. I yeah. never thought that you couldn't do it. There's also this weird added layer of Joan did, I mean, for better or worse, sleep her way to the top. She's now a partner. She actually is in a higher position than Peggy, but Peggy knows more about this business and how things work than Joan. So there's this weird power dynamic here where one's maybe more knowledgeable and better at it, and the other one has more influence and power. Mm-hmm. It's just so weird, but it it works beautifully because of it. Yeah, agreed. All right, let's go to uh, Bob Benson. Uh, Bob Bunsen, our favorite character in this show, is listening to his self-help records. <laughs> uh, <laughs> records. Like, I think of self-help stuff as tapes. Uh-huh. Before that, way before that. Hell yeah. Records. Uh, he gets a call from, presumably, Stan, and then he rushes over to Stan and Ginsburg's office and finds Ginsburg sitting on the floor feeling very sick. He's upset that he's part of a system that is causing the decay of society, essentially. Uh, and Bunsen gives him an inspirational speech that gets him back into the game. Uh, those That's motivational great, records coming in handy. Great speech where he's like, "God yeah. damn it, this is Manischewitz. It's it's they're good people, your people. Uh-huh. You know, they just sell religious wine to people of all faiths. What the fuck? These are not you know the uh, the face of the oppressor. Yeah, and you can't put yourself in the right place at the right time. You have to be in the right place all the time, which is Bob Benson." I mean, he takes this stuff to heart. Um, great quote here. Uh, I see you doing a little research over there. Now I am become death, destroyer of worlds. Oppenheimer. How does this relate? Yeah. How does this relate to Ginsburg's current situation? Well, it doesn't because <laughs> well, you're talking uh, well, about you're talking okay, about a thoughtful in mind, scientist. Um, with mixed feelings about being the father <laughs> of the atom bomb yeah. with fucking Ginsburg, who's a hippie cashing a check from Doc Chemical. <laughs> okay. That's kind of like... In Ginsburg's mind, it equates exactly. Like, I can't remember what podcast it was, but someone made a... Oh, no, it wasn't. It was like the guy from Penny Arcade. There was, somebody said compared something to Sophie's Choice. And they're like, did you really just make a comparison between a mother choosing which which of her kids to give to the Nazis and whatever bullshit you're doing? <laughs> and that's kind of you know, uh-huh. little little. Uh, I don't. That's what's happening here. Yeah. yeah, this is Ginsburg is overreacting a tad. Well, I mean, this shows so far their treatment of counterculture has been cartoonish, a little bit, and yeah. clownish. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm sure there's people that were really that, but, you know, Ginsburg's is so yeah. far over the top. I feel like Stan is a much more accurate And even, even those, uh, the, those, those, uh, t- the tough homeless teens were, uh, at the, at the yeah. flop house, the village like people. how over the top they fucking were. I mean, I just, mm-hmm. I feel like the wine, the wiener's not, not doing his best work in touching on this, these aspects. Yeah, maybe not. Uh, it is a, uh. Ginsburg gets a little melodramatic here. A little? <laughs> yeah. For sure. 
And uh, then again, he gets up and after he, he successfully props him back up, he's like, are you a homo? <laughs> There's that yeah, sense of humor. Totally out of left field. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, what about that was gay? Nothing. There was nothing about that that was gay. So I, where did it that come from? It must have just been something that has been eating at him, right? But like this question is Bob Bunsen gay? Other than wearing fabulous shorts and not having any interest in in <laughs> sex with women, I haven't seen any. And I mean, I'm, any, I'm being joking about that. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. I've not seen any kind of stereotypical or otherwise signs that Ginsburg's gay. Certainly, yeah, not in the office. I mean, Sal was, was oh was yeah, very yeah, yeah. gay. If you just open your fucking eyes, sure, I mean, sure. You know, you had surface and then, but but I mean. I don't know. I don't. I realistically don't know why he. Asked Bob Bunsen's that here. Butch. Oh, I don't know that he's Butch. <laughs> uh, that goddamn it, man! Speech. That's Butch as hell. Yeah, actually, yeah, that was pretty sweet. Uh, Got to hand it to him there. I'd follow Bob Bob Bunsen in the battle. <laughs> butch, butch Bob Bunsen in the battle. Alliteration is great. Uh, all right, the boys go to a party. The boys being, uh, you know, Don Roger Harry. Go to a party where they run into Danny Siegel. Mm. Uh, going by what Daniel J. Siegel now? I don't. I don't know. Right. Anyway, Roger insults him over his height repeatedly. I don't remember him being that short. <laughs> if you look at screenshots of it, yeah, he was, was he? that short. Was he? I'm... Totally. He's like a good like six to eight inches shorter than Peggy. Right. <laughs> he's real short. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, so he's he's trying to look important in front of Roger, and Roger's just insulting him over and over. But he's shoulder level to Roger's crotch. Yeah, that he is. short. It, maybe they exaggerated it a little. Okay. I don't know. I, you can look at the screens from right. Uh, no, I remember his character and what a torp he was. Yeah. But so I talk don't... about his character, who who he was in in season four. So he's a guy. So he's Jane. He's Roger's brother-in-law. You know his his child bride Jane's bro, uh, brother. I, I or no wait cousin oh, her cousin yeah. cousin, and uh, he had this portfolio of truly dreadful work. Yeah, it was all based on basically the same premise over and over and over again. Uh, uh-huh. uh, but Don was uh in like one of his low points, uh, where he was just kind of desperate for inspiration, and he accidentally used one of his pitches. Uh, that got picked up and, and you, ended up winning a Clio for it. Actually, no, well, I don't think that's. Yeah, I thought it was for the Life cereal. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I don't. I don't know about that. Uh, if you if you get any, any angry emails, it's it's on your own head. <laughs> All right. Um. But what I can say is that they had to. They basically offered him a job as a way to kind of make sure that it didn't get out that they thefted someone's intellectual property. Yep. And then he didn't survive. Uh, you know, he got he got laid off shortly after, which is you know, part of the joke of this this particular scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so interesting because Life Serial was the client that he actually that Don stole his uh, mm-hmm. tagline for. And then we see them mentioned as well alongside Carnation mm-hmm. this episode. So, right. Uh, probably not a coincidence that we ran into him this episode. Um, we go back to. Uh, over to the pool, I guess. Don's chatting with someone about uh, pop music and movies and advertising. Uh, and the guy, eh, he he seems pretty dismissive towards what Don's doing. Uh, and then Harry comes over, interrupts, and asks if uh, asks Don if they should follow someone who's going to another party. I don't know who these people are. Uh, we've never heard of them. They're big movie execs or whatever. 
Um, did you yeah, notice this the, is the scene where I felt like I, they weren't really impressed with them. Did you notice the uh, hot Megan lookalike coming out of the pool? I did. Do yeah. you think How that's... How could I not have? You're right. <laughs> Something about her brisket area was really nice. Brisket? Where does the brisket come from? If you don't... If you have to ask, man. So, <laughs> anyway, do you think that she's actually the girl that he was talking to when he was high? Yeah. I'm fairly certain. Okay. All right. That makes... That's what I got from it. Anyway. That makes sense. Also, can we go back to Roger and Danny? Yeah. Um, first of all, I don't think we've talked enough about how completely square they looked. Like, even more so than when yeah, they yeah. were at the concert last year. Well, the, Roger's wearing a freaking uh, the like neckerchief how, an thing. Ascot? What's, ascot? Or, yeah. yeah. And Don yeah. just looks like fucking 50s dude. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're completely they out of place here. here. And not wearing socks with his loafers, apparently, which is... <laughs> yeah, they tell him to take ew. his shoes off and he's got... Bare feet, yeah, pasty white feet going on. Um, do you think it was why can't be smelling good either in those is, shoes with bare feet? Is Daniel Spiegel? Do you think he actually had connections out there in Hollywood? Because Rod, I, I couldn't tell whether he actually knew people uh-huh. or he was just a bullshit artist and Roger was calling on him as, on his bullshit. But I felt like he had gotten to know people, know people out there. And, like, the people's names he rattled off seemed like people that, if not Roger, then Harry would be interested in sucking up to. Was it Certainly. was it really smart of Roger to go in there and be that big of a dick to him? No. Totally not smart. But Roger can't resist. But why? Because Roger is kind of an asshole. <laughs> is he doing this to get back? Cause he's I mean, look of... what he did to Bob... Uh... <laughs> uh, what's his name? Yeah, nuts? good point. When he fired him, he f- he reveled in firing him twice. Right? Why wouldn't he revel in this? Yeah, I guess so. It'd be I, funny I if he offered he... him a job back at the ad agency <laughs> just to fire him again. <laughs> I got no taste uh, for this. Geez. I gotta say, Danny, <laughs> that would be horrible. Anyway, so Don's uh, headed to the restroom when he kind of runs into a group who's smoking some hash from a hookah. And gets immediately stoned. Immediately. Seems like it. Before it could possibly enter his bloodstream, he's done. Like I said, after seeing uh, this scene, there's a glorious animated gif on the internet that you can find of him hit, taking that first hit. Nice. I'm morally certain John Hamm has partaken of marijuana. Because <laughs> that is a classic, oh, system good shit face. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, good stuff there. Uh, we go back over to Roger, who's flirting with Danny's date. Uh, what is her name? Lotus? Lotus. Uh, when Danny comes looking for her so of that they can leave, is. Roger fires off a few more insults. Tries, tries, to take his, tries to take Lotus home with him. Yes, he does. And Danny, who apparently hates violence, punches Roger right in the dick anyway. It was so great because <laughs> Roger's like, you know, I'm as a boxer myself, I mm-hmm. like to find a man's sweet spot that, you know, brings him <laughs> to his knees. <laughs> yeah. It's not that hard to find a man's sweet spot if you're willing to go below the belt. Very true. Oh, that was brutal. It, it was brutal, but totally deserved. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Roger, you get what's coming to you. Yep. Uh, we go back over to Don where, uh, he's making out with one of the girls at the party and he's so stoned that he hallucinates Megan tapping him on the shoulder and, uh, she says it's okay and that she quit her job and she's pregnant. Uh, she leads him out into the living room and promptly turns into Private Dinkins, PFC Dinkins, who he met in Hawaii. And then Dinkins tells him, dying won't make you whole. You should see what you look like. Yeah, this is shades of the rotten tooth. Um... You know, 
The what? The the, the um, his brother Adam, uh, him hallucinating him. Oh, he's high yeah. on the the nitrous oxide. And it's like yep. it's not. We all know it's not your tooth. It's rotten, yeah. dick. Um, <laughs> I yeah. There's a lot to unpack here, but there's also a lot of this that just feels kind of superficial. One thing is kind of note that I, uh, neat that I saw on Reddit is so you know obviously this is. Don's ideal version of Megan. Certainly. So she's pregnant. She's open of this. She's quit her job. She's quit her job to follow him, to be with him. And she's cool with him, you know, sharing him sexually. Mm -hmm. And she mentions, I live here. Uh, Which do you think that's a callback to, you know, his ideal Megan is the one that he proposed to at Walt Disney Walt Disneyland in California. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Probably. So like that 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 mental image of her like would make sense for him to make that connection. Yeah. I like it. All right. Uh that's pretty do you much think exactly that there, what I had. Do you think that there was any um connection when Peggy uh told the uh, or actually Joan told Peggy it was so brave to let uh to for you to let Don take you to the deep end of the pool? In an episode where Don almost <laughs> dies in the deep end of a pool. Hmm. Do you think there was any kind of connection or a, a sly nod foreshadowing there? Are you saying Peggy's going to die? Is that what you're saying? Man, She's going to drown along with Don. Don's going to take her down. No, but I, there's there's a lot of interesting speculation that uh, Megan might die. Have you yes. seen any of that oh, stuff? Oh, yeah, the Sharon Tate stuff, sure. Yeah. Did we talk about that last week? Uh, we briefly mentioned it, yeah. All right. Uh, and I think we have some listener feedback that covers it. So. Great. Okay. I don't... Uh, possibly not. Um, I may not have included it because we talked about it last time. Okay. Anyway, another thing I liked here is, uh, when Dinkins is introduced, he's lighting that Don's cigarette with that lighter. Mm-hmm. I wonder which lighter it is. You think it's Don's lighter? You think it's Dinkins' it's lighter? It's a fantasy lighter. Are we really debating this? <laughs> no. Who was Don looking at was laying face down in the pool? Um, I also think it was interesting. So, like, this is another callback to Don's jumping off point, right? Yeah. That ad of him walking into the ocean. This is all this, the sec. It's also another really smart callback because this is the second time that Don's basically passed out at a pool. Mm-hmm. Do you remember um, in season two where he went to that really weird bohemian couple in in California? Yeah, I uh, didn't until I read some stuff. Okay, <laughs> so like, but but when he fainted, they they gave him the advice is like next time fall fall into the pool. Uh-huh. And I fell into a pool, almost drowned. So he did it. Yep. Uh, so it, it's interesting to me because um, the two episodes where we've seen people that uh, so when he went to California, right? He's there for someone who was a close friend of his, mm-hmm. um, and someone he really loved and connected with, right? Yeah. And now he sees this idealized version of Megan, uh, what he wants her to be when he's also in California. Seems like maybe Don should move to California. Hmm. That's what I'm thinking. Maybe maybe it would lighten him up a little, you know? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, anyway, so we got an email from uh, Alex F. that kind of has a different take on uh, Don here. Or not a different take, but a little more involved take that I wanted to read. Uh, if that's okay with you. Go for it. All right. Alex F. says, so Don's all about reinvention, right? If you don't like what they're saying about you, change a conversation and so forth. As the AV Club recap pointed out, there's reinvention in this episode. The firm completing its reinvention by choosing a name. Joan trying to reinvent herself as an account executive and background noise about the 1968 election, which was won and re- by a reinvented Richard Nixon. 
What I'd add is that none of the reinvention is going very well. The firm is a mess. Joan is out of her element. Nixon turned out to be a disaster. Uh, and that nicely underscores the message of Don's near-death experience. For Don, death equals reinvention or rebirth. See his Royal Hawaiian ad in the premiere. So when he hallucinates Private Dinkins telling him that death doesn't make you whole, that's what it's about. He can't just remake himself again and expect to fix things. I think a lot of Don's confidence comes from his disbelief that he can, or sorry, from his belief that he can always reinvent himself. But he's realizing this season that he can't. His attempt at being a different person after marrying Megan didn't stick, and at work he's not doing a very good job of changing with the times. So is this going to be some epiphany that forces Don to try to live the life he actually has, or is it just going to pull the rug out from under him and set him adrift? Don being Don, probably the latter. Uh, I like that. I like that too. I think, uh, yeah, Don Don is very much obsessed with reinventing himself right down to uh, his name, you know? <laughs> I mean, he's done that time and time again. Short, yeah, and a lot of times it's short-sighted, too. I mean, he mentioned Nixon mm-hmm. uh, in, in um, now he's a failed president, but also he's one of the ones that embraced the Southern strategy where basically they went after uh, prejudiced whites in the South uh, to win elections, and that's one of the messes mm-hmm. the Republicans are in to this day that – you know what's yeah. one of the sh- big shrinking demographics? <laughs> Old white people, uh-huh. <laughs> and what's uh, you know young people that don't that are less racist and also minorities are becoming more and more part. Yeah, and they're fucked with those groups. Oh yeah, yeah. So you know, yeah, that's that's this kind of short sighted reinvented games. As long as it's if especially when it's cynically done like that, mm-hmm. you usually get into long term trouble. Yep. And Don is in some pretty long-term trouble, I think. (laughs) Certainly with uh, his relationships. Mm. Anyway, Teddy tells Cutler that uh, Chevy loved the work and they got approval from uh, someone who's important enough that they won't have to redo it anyway. And Bob comes in and tells him that Manischewitz has put them on review and Teddy gets angry at Jim. Mm Mm-hmm. But Jim Uh, sees an opportunity, as I alluded to before, and puts Bob... How does he do this? He just assigns Bob the key role in Chevy? Yeah. Which is forcing, is that going to eventually force Ken out? Yeah, I don't know, man. It seems like several times in this episode, Teddy, or I'm sorry, Cutler has overstepped his power, his authority. But with a velvet glove, man, because nobody bats an eye. Yeah. He was totally right about, I mean, you know, the way they made up for this was the S, uh, you know, SC and P basically. Yep. And it's funny that Pete's the only one that calls bullshit <laughs> on this. Yeah, we'll definitely get to that. Um, <laughs> so it's interesting here. Bob Benson is totally trying to be a martyr in this scene because yes, he is. He's like he he was going to go to the Manischewitz meeting, but I talked him out of it. Uh, it kind of relates back to uh, where Roger earlier in the episode told Cooper not to be a martyr uh, when he was just going to give up his name. His his C in the partner mm-hmm, in the mm-hmm. title. Uh, lots of martyrs in this episode, or people trying to be, I guess. Uh, Roger talks with Don about how things went on the plane back to New York, and then gives him some hard-earned life advice, I guess, uh, just to know who you are. Figure he's, out who you are. He's only two-thirds right. He's a curious child, agreed, mm-hmm. full head of hair, full head of hair yeah. indisputable, thriving business. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So he's not enlightened. He's deluded and has gone back. I mean, after his brief triumph 
you know, every day he's hustling lasted long enough until he got the GM, and now it's back to fuck around mode. So I don't know that I agree that his business is not thriving. I mean, yes, he lost Manischewitz, but they've gained oh, many, yeah, many large is clients. Is this his business? That's the open question. His He is still one of the named partners. Uh, yeah, but I so, mean... He's being he's being outmaneuvered on every front and true. isn't even aware of it. Yeah, and he's not that's what he's I'm not saying. savvy enough to revert that, right? He works for a thriving business. I don't know that it's his anymore. Is my my point. Yeah. Also no, you're probably right. So Don's pretty fucking lucky. Nobody else was jumping in the pool to save him. They all seem like they're like, Oh my god. Can you believe this is happening? Yeah, Roger's Roger the one that jumps in. into saves him. Well, to be fair, everyone else is high. What? What, <laughs> what are the odds that Roger chose not to partake at all? Right. I mean, what if he had picked up Lotus and gone? Yeah. Yeah, Don may be dead right now. Yeah. Face down. He's a uh, silver-haired guardian cool. angel. <laughs> so Jones called into the conference room after Pete discovers uh, that she talked with Avon without him. They, they got a package full of products and a card, and he's livid. It's he, hilarious that all the secretaries think they're in trouble because they opened the package. Yeah, I didn't open it. When yeah, Pete, the girls opened it. Pete's in full-on Vesuv- uh, Vesuvius mode because, <laughs> well, he's just kind of a prick, and he's pissed that Joan squeezed him out. Yep. And so they bring Ted into the room to join the conversation, kind of settle the argument. And Ted dismisses Peggy, who goes into Joan's office and listens over the intercom. Uh-huh. Weird. I don't know why there would be an intercom directly into Joan's office, but whatever. Well, okay, so that's... She's adjacent to the conference room. I think the whole point of that, because that's been a plot point in this show before, the whole point of that is so a secretary can be on the other side of the glass and take minutes and dictation without actually being in the room. That's still weird to me. They're not supposed to use it for... Spying, uh, spying, yeah. but that's that's what it's what's what it's being. used Oh, to. you know, Bob Benson has used that before. Mm-hmm. Well, it's in Jones' For office, sure. though. Yeah, um, but Bob has his ways. He's I, gotten in there. Pete, <laughs> I love Pete's over-the-top flowery language because it's like, I bet you'd like to celebrate what a fool I am. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I was sitting there like, I would like to celebrate what a fool you are. Yeah. Um, then Pete insinuates that she's fucking the dude. Uh-huh. And she goes right back. It's better than being screwed over by you. No, not screwed over. Screwed. Oh, screwed. Yeah. Much oh, more to the point. Yes. <laughs> Epic. Yeah. Man, she can hold her own, which is weird because she kind of wilted the next scene. I thought yeah, she yeah, was yeah. basically going to be like, come at me. Come at me, bros. Uh-huh. And she totally locked up. Yeah, she had to be did, saved by Peggy. Did not expect that look out of uh, Joan. How about you? Yeah, I'm with you. I thought Joan had a little more, uh, little more balls. <laughs> um, Why's it got to be balls, Jim? <laughs> I don't know, because that's what uh, toughness is. Apparently, <laughs> it's what they call it all the time. Grits. Grit. Well, she has more. She said grit. All right, four true grit. How about that? Uh, anyway, so we go over to uh, Don and Roger getting back from their trip, and Pete immediately brings the news of what Joan did to them. Uh, the rest of the partners join him in Don's office, and they have the results of Chevy. They've got uh, Joan's success with Avon, the problem with Manischewitz, and a new name for the firm: S C and P. 
SC and P. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, Pete quickly repaid Joan by squeezing her out of the meeting. So yeah, how, yeah, yeah. How? Why did anybody go along with that? Like all the partners are in here for big news. Let's get Joan. And Pete's like, fuck that. And everybody's like, oh, okay, yeah, whatever Pete says. When yeah. has that ever happened? I don't know, man. That I I feel like a lot of people in this room are letting Pete just kind of run the place. I feel like a lot of people are just it's just loosey goosey and only half the people care, and the people that are caring yeah. are fucking over people that don't care. Which when I put it that way, yeah. why shouldn't they? I don't know. Uh, it, yeah, they need to go public so that Roger can just like sell out his part of the business and be done with it. Also, the theory that the theory that this was Ted's idea, uh, to rope a dope Don and suggesting to buy in the company that that theory is dead now, right? Just judging on Ted's. Why do you say that? The way he's carried himself since then. That he's trying to make this all work. Well, I don't. I don't think he's carrying himself like a like a guy who's this is the fruition of his master scheme to. Oh, you don't think he's to co-op the... Don Draper and destroy his company from within? Okay, if anybody hatched that plan, it was Cutler. Hmm. It'd be funny if we find out that Cutler put you know, this Teddy is like a three level inception type deal. Oh. <laughs> so Cutler put the idea into Ted's head. It, invo- it involved something the with, the, with the contract made out into a pinwheel and an ice <laughs> fortress. It got a little crazy. I'm just waiting for somebody to go over a bridge in a van. <laughs> we'll know for sure uh, if we man. start hearing <laughs> in the musical score. Awesome. So um, Pete ends up in the creative bullpen where Stan's smoking a Rizzo. And <laughs> Pete takes it from him, plops down on the couch, and takes a hit and immediately gets pervy. Immediately. Yeah. I mean, I know they did it for style, but that slow-mo of him hitting a joint and checking out that girl's ass on the way through. Was he? I didn't get that. I thought he was just... Oh, no. He was totally gawking. For sure. Mm. Yeah. Pete, I I don't know about Pete, man. He could very well take up arms next episode and just go on a shooting spree. You say that about a lot of people at this point. Pete more so than anybody. Although though, it's right? funny, is he, it's so far the only person to shed blood in this season is Peggy. <laughs> uh, with the stabbing? <laughs> with the homemade harpoon. Uh-huh. Uh, uh. So I wonder how their relationship's going. <laughs> <laughs> uh you think so abe's clearly gone right he's he's not i don't know i don't know living where there what is i mean i don't think you can go back to being even roommates after you say <laughs> yeah. every yeah your your every waking moment is an offense to me uh-huh. you are the enemy the enemy oh god yeah maybe he subscribes to uh keep your friends close and your enemies closer mm-hmm. anyway so that's was, uh, you know, yeah. despite my feelings for the grimy little pimp, it was an artful shot. Him take, token up yeah. in slow motion as Janice Joplin plays us out. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's it. That's the end of the episode. Right on. Anything else to talk about? Or should we do some grimy little pimping of our own? Let's do some promo pimping. Uh, we are, of course, part of the Bald Move Network. You can find all of our content at baldmove.com. What content, you say? Well... We have full coverage of The Walking Dead and Game of Thrones and the latest seasons of Mad Men, Justified, Breaking Bad, and Downton Abbey, all at baldmove.com. And also, where else? what else can you get there? You can get our buddies, our bestest buddies, our bestest bro buddies, 
the personal arrogance crew out of Seattle, Jesse and Eric, they're talking beer, they're talking sports, they're talking movies, pop culture, video games, board games. If that's your bag, baby, you need to head over there and check them out. And you can check our bestest gal pals, the uh, Bacar Show, Gerilyn, Amy, and Susan. They are back this week after Thank several goodness after several week uh, hiatus. Yeah, I got a little sausage festy up in up in this piece. Uh, yeah, I've, I've missed them. Yeah, uh, we got them back on board. Uh, check they they describe themselves as an epic thrill ride of a podcast. They are hilarious. You need to check them out. Um, also, did I mention that we got Downton, the latest uh, seasons of Downton Abbey, courtesy of mm-hmm. Thomas, uh, Tom, rather, Thomas, so formal, <laughs> uh, Thomas and Kelly, who we just recently yeah. met up with. They were in town in Cincinnati, and uh, you met up with me. Yeah. We all met up down there and had a couple brews. It was a good time. It was. They're great. They are awesome people. Really enjoyed ourselves. And uh, if you appreciate all that bald move goodness please we appreciate your reviews and ratings on itunes uh it's basically where 99.9 percent of our marketing comes from uh the other 0.1 percent is from you telling a friend about bald move so don't forget that if you'd like to help us uh rub a couple of pennies together and keep the lights on here keep our bandwidth bills paid uh don't you don't you don't have to give us money just just shop at amazon amazon.baldmove.com or click on the bright orange banner at the top of her site again as always i've said it for the hundredth time <laughs> it costs you nothing people uh we're just taking money out of jeff bezos wallet mm-hmm. so help us do that help us steal money Leeching. from a amazon executive yeah he clearly doesn't need it not at all no not at all he's got plenty uh all right we have a whole bunch of feedback this week so ready for me to plow in yeah take it away Brandon H. says, between new episodes, my wife and I have been recently devouring past seasons of Mad Men and found that Sunday's episode, The Better Half, is a fantastic companion episode to Season 3, Episode 8, Souvenir, otherwise known as the Italy episode, where Don takes Betty to Rome to try out the Hilton Hotel for Connie H., who also, first time in a long time, was mentioned in this uh, episode. Don cracked a joke about uh, him being holed up in a hotel in in Chicago. And Megan said, don't joke about that. Oh, no. I, All right, I moving didn't, on. Didn't catch it. Similarities. Don and Betty are in a foreign place and have a shelter of anonymity. An- an- <laughs> uh, uh, Italy slash the campground. Betty's beauty is noticed by other men, and Don plays it off cool like he doesn't know her, then moves in. The Italian men at the dinner, dinner the country bumpkin mechanical boy. Oh no! Just mechanic boy. <laughs> mechanical he wasn't. Boy. He wasn't a fully mechanical boy. It's no. AI all of a sudden. <laughs> in both places, Betty and Don are engaged to each other in this perfect image, merge of honesty, passion, and clear depth of each other appreciation for each other. Betty is her most confident in her new clothes, new body, and she isn't fighting for Don's attention with anger or fear of loss. When De- uh, Betty has heightened beauty and behaves like this, it's easy to forget how broken and mean spirited she is. <laughs> Oh, I accidentally scrolled to the top of the page. This sucks. Oh. This sucks. It's riveting podcasting. <laughs> scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Uh, perhaps Wiener is literally pulling us in or putting us into Don's head because he seems to forget as well. Also, in an, a way, it seems that Betty, in fact, knows Don more than anyone else we know or anyone else now. Her insight has pinpoint accuracy to what his character mm-hmm. development has been leading up to this season. What are your thoughts? Though I'm not expecting them to rekindle their relationship, will this unexpected tryst help Don from here out? 
Or maybe they would be better off to tell the family and move to Fiji and start a new life by the series end. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with him that uh, Betty knows him way better than Megan does. <laughs> I mean, Betty's had to deal with him longer, so mm. Betty's got no way out. Well, plus Betty's got you know I don't know she's I don't I don't see her getting back with Don. Or even yeah. entertaining it, because I think she's genuinely happy with Henry. Yeah. But she's got this moral flexibility to allow her to fuck Don and still go home with Henry. Sure. The hell, as far as I know, everybody in the show fucks around. So Henry's probably plowing girls on the side, too, on the campaign Except trail. Except for Ginsburg, who's never been Ginsburg is apparently. asexual. That's Martians are like that. <laughs> they just they just, they just just clone. They just, like, you know, a little bud pops off of them and uh-huh. starts walking around. Sure. Louis R. says Ellery Queen was a fictional name of detective around 50s and 60s. There were many books written about Ellery Queen and even some TV movies. That, apparently. Yeah, I have uh, no idea. Apparently, Joan <laughs> is a detective fan. Guess so. Thank you for that. Steve says, I have a theory about the Peggy Ted interaction from last week's episode that I'm surprised no one mentioned on the podcast. We're all here, Steve. Initially, Ted is mad at Peggy for touching him at the meeting and, in my opinion, genuinely does not want to be involved with her. However, he senses that she has feelings for him. So, to get her to admit those feelings, he says that he has feelings and has thought about it more than she has. This also allows him the opportunity to say that it could never happen because they are both with someone. Then when Abe breaks up with Peggy and Peggy goes to Ted's office to tell him... She's expecting to rebound with Ted, but he denies her because he never planned on being with her anyway. I can also only assume that Ted thought Peggy broke up with Abe just so she could be with Ted. That's my theory. If it makes any sense. This theory would also go nicely with the uh, theory that Ted weaseled his way into a merger by making Don think that it was Don's own idea to merge the companies. This could be just Ted's character. Uh, yeah, we just shit Jim. all over that. What do you think about the previous theory about uh, uh, about to Peggy. what end is he doing this though? Just to fuck with her? <laughs> uh, I I left. I'll, I'll admit I left this email in here for a different perspective because I don't I don't agree with it. I like you said I don't think Ted is that slick. Well, I mean, right? I, I thought, and I was starting to come around to Steve's theory here. I thought that he was coming at this from a this is Ted trying to be merciful empathetic that he's like okay i see this this girl has got this mentor boss you know hot for teacher type thing Mm -hmm. so i'm going to basically talk her out of it yeah and then it totally backfired when she stabbed abe yeah yeah and then he so then he shut the door on her he's like well this didn't work i'm gonna shut the door hard on it but it seemed like seemed halfway seemed like he switched horses and went with more like he's just fucking with her so I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm still on board with it. Um, <laughs> but it, it is it, an interesting theory. Yeah, and also, either way, his his behavior seems rather inexplicably cruel. It does. Yeah, yeah. You know, either the way, either way he just totally seems to ignore her at the end there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I feel like we're gonna get more about that next episode, but not sure. Um. Oscar V says, hey, Tiny Catch, I haven't heard or read anyone else comment on. In the scene where Roger and Jim are discussing staff cuts, Roger despairingly refers to two of the CGC staff as Cecil and Beanie. I just about lost it. It was a reference to early 60s TV cartoon, Cecil uh, and or Beanie and Cecil. 
Looks like the wiener spent as many bored childhood hours watching bad TV as I did. Man, when they make the definitive late 80s, early 90s yeah. television series, I'm going to be busting out the awesome <laughs> Knight Rider and Airwolf references. Oh, man, there was this I'm thing have... where the robots turn into cars. Yeah, I'm going to have the Super Mario sweet. Brothers cartoon show down. <laughs> I'm going to have the gummy bears. I'm going to have all that shit on lock. Oh, uh, yeah. I know about Jim. Jim? <laughs> yeah. You don't know this, didn't... Oh, you didn't have any sisters. Oh, uh, that's not... Uh... Jim and the Holograms, man. Oh, Jim. Yeah, J-E-M. There's, there's, at least six, oh, hell yeah. there's at least 60 ladies in their late 20s, early 30s nodding their heads vigorously <laughs> right now. Yep, yep, yep. No, I know all about it. It was on Saturday mornings. I couldn't avoid it. I tried. Yeah. Anyway. Same with uh, Rainbow Bright. <laughs> what? Rainbow Bright? The fuck are you talking about? The the. Yeah, there were reruns of Rainbow Bright all the time. Oh, I'm thinking light bright. I have no idea. <laughs> no, light, no, no, Rainbow no. bright. I don't know. Let's yeah. let's move on. We're Care bores. Yeah. We, we, we've we've yeah. we've entertained some women, <laughs> and we're boring the hell out of everybody else. Sure. Levi R says, first of all, I'm very familiar with the Father Abraham song. Whoa. Okay. Reader service here. Yep. We asked for this, and we're getting it. And I'm an '80s baby like you. As with the Spanish classes I took in high school. Most of what I remember from my years in the Lutheran church are songs that don't really mean anything to me anymore. Father Abraham was a song that never ends meets the Macarena. You know, I got that vibe from it. I was When I was listening to it, I was like, you know, you could sing this song forever. Yeah. It doesn't feel like there's an end. So that's that's a perfect comparison. Can I continue now? Yeah, yeah. Go. <laughs> <laughs> the tune was definitely familiar, though the lyrics he sang... We're slightly different. This is the way we sung it. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I'm trying very hard not to sing this. <laughs> I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Right arm. Father Abraham. Right arm. When you speak it, it doesn't have the <laughs> same know. impact. Right arm. I know. Right arm. <laughs> Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Left arm. No, right arm, left arm. You Right you arm, left add, arm. It's like the hokey pokey. Okay, got it. Yeah. Each verse required you to turn and add a body. This is the hokey pokey. It's, it's, it's a whitewashed yeah. hokey pokey. Yeah, it's the religious hokey pokey. Nah, hokey pokey is all about having sex and doing black magic. <laughs> this is all about how many sons Abraham. And he had he had, he had had 12 sons, right? No, no, no. That, that he was had his. many sons. I know that much. Did he? Or maybe he just had two. Seven. Seven? I don't know. Abraham and Isaac. Isaac had two kids, and one of them was Israel. I don't. I don't know. I thought Abraham had one son. This is this is all a lie. <laughs> what church did you go to here, Levi? Come on, come on. They didn't even tell you how many sons he had. Uh, eventually, we're all spinning like fools, bobbing our heads and swinging our arms. I can see where that would happen. Um, yeah. Let's move on to Oscar from Shy Town. Have you ever wondered how completely unpredictable Mad Men is in general? Every show has a goal in mind and an end line or season arc with a clear journey. Breaking Bad is about the life and times of Walter, but we know with an explosive or death-riddled ending is surely in play. Maybe. Justified as a main bad guy and main conflict every season with smaller plots developing. Mad Men is simply about interesting human beings in the 60s. We can predict all we want about Don's affairs or the fate of SCDP CGC. But we can never say anything for sure. It doesn't help that the wiener hides the details so meticulously. The Sylvia Don affair could have gone on for the rest of the year, and we'd have found it equally interesting and insightful as the breakup last fortnight. The merging could have happened a long time ago, or the last episode, for all we knew. 
I think that Weiner and company could have used reviews and theories to alter their pl- plot points to throw us off, and why not? Nothing can be predicted. Death and tragedy could come as easily as the lawnmower or price of suicide or not at all. What do you think? I think that's a pretty astute observation. I think he summed up why Mad Men is so fucking interesting. It's yeah. about people doing people things. Mm-hmm. They're super interesting people. Uh, I've never felt like going into and coming out of a season of Mad Men that I knew from the beginning kind of where it was all headed. Right. Then I can't say that about other shows. Yeah, I mean, it's it defies predictions. Yeah. Um, because nobody would have predicted last, at the beginning of last year that Lane Price would hang himself. Right? Not at all. But it felt like an inevitability by the time he got there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just, you know, a single season's work of, worth of work. Uh, it's, again, for my money, best show currently on television. Has potential to be right up there at the best show of all time, in my opinion, The Wire. <laughs> I watched uh, uh, screen, not a Screen Actors Guild, uh, some sort of Writers Guild thing, uh, where they were running down the 101 best written television shows. Was Guess what was one, number one? The Wire? No. What? Sopranos. Ah, oh, fuck that bullshit. <laughs> um, all right. So Elise K says, surprised you guys never heard of Ellery Queen, but hey, I'm old. I'm actually the same age as Roger's grandson, born in 64. I remember the TV series, only one season from 75 to 76, Ellery Queen, a detective show. When checking Ellery Queen out on Wiki, I found out it's a pseudonym used by cousins from Brooklyn who wrote detective fiction, like twins, like twins, the better half. Ooh, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. I also like the Madonna whore reference. It's just plastered all over the season. But what does one expect when you th- really think about the origins of one Dick Whitman, born from a prostitute who dies in childbirth? His whole existence is based on his life creating a woman's death, the nurturing mother confused with the whore. At this point, Betty has integrated these two roles most successfully. Now she's back to season one physique. Megan had glimmers of that initially, but her acting career surpassed the development of either mother or whore. By the way, if I were to slap a diagnosis on Don slash Dick, it would be attachment disorder. He vis- vacillates between clingy and aloof. Nice, nice analysis. Uh, Got to be moving on. Rachel in Cleveland said, over the past few episodes of listening, your listeners speculate about Don's mother whore complex with various women in his life. Betty, Megan, Sylvia, etc. But I think it's notable that Sally doesn't fit in either category. And Don's relationship with his daughters arguably be the most dysfunctional and strained in his life. How does a man who thinks women are either mothers or whores relate to his daughter? Ooh, insightful. Yeah. Their relationship was doomed from the start. Before the show ends, he's got, there's got to be a massive emotional fight scene between these two. Also, I just re-listened to your cast on The Crash, and Aaron suggested that blondes represent all the women in Don's life who've had the most impact on him. Sally's also blonde. You also suggested that these blonde women may be the cause of Don's limbo. Establishing a functional relationship with Sally may be the key to escaping limbo. God damn, I'm insightful. (laughs) As for Bobby, I think we're seeing more of him this season because all these flashbacks are showing Don the power of environment and parenting on a young, impressionable boy. Don has the power to give his son a healthy environment and raise him to have a healthy relationship with women. Or he can get jacked on vitamins and disappear for a weekend to teach Bobby that husbands and fathers do whatever the hell they want when they want. I think that's the heart of what the better half is about. Don had his opportunity to be a good father and husband, his own better half, but he fucked it up. And now he's just truly understanding the consequences his actions had on his family. Wow. 
Don can sing about Father Abraham with Bobby and Betty, but at the end of the day, they're both going home with Father Henry Francis, the man who stepped up and shouldered Don's responsibilities. By the way, do you have guys have any thoughts on the Megan Draper Sharon Tate connection? Thank you for that, by the way, Rachel. I assume yeah. you're setting me up for a, a, a detailed conversation about this in later emails. Uh, possibly not. <laughs> okay, let's put a pin on that till we get through the rest of the feedback. Okay. Um, Angela asks us, have we seen this Bob Benson theory on Reddit? Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> posted by Putch the third. Don Benson is Dick Whitman's son. And here's why one Betty lost a child. The first episode with Sandy. Wait, Betty lost a child. The first episode with Sandy. Megan had a miscarriage. Joan had a sister on her ovary. All the overture of a lost child Two. Dick loses a virginity to miss Swinson three. Bob Benson, Miss Swinson. You might be reaching. This is the missive of a madman. If Bob's mother was a whore, it would make sense <laughs> that he naturally drawn to Joan, who essentially sold her body for partnership last season, and a single mother to Kevin. Five, shares the same first name as Don's other son. Six, Father Abraham had seven sons with a strange camp song. Perhaps you can think of Don's other children. Whoa. We all know, based <laughs> on the season's poster, there are two Don's, and this would add more to the dick side of things. Eight, Bob lied about his father. Either hey, hey, a... hey, call Bob what you want. He's not a dick. More <laughs> to the dick side of things. Bob lied about his father. Either he's alive or he's dead in previous episodes. Hmm. I... I don't know what to say about that. Don't know what to say about that either. That's one of the things where I feel like maybe the internet is going a little out there. Sure. It's a coffee-esque theory. <laughs> Kafka-esque? Kafka-esque. Kof- <laughs> <laughs> uh... Oh, man. Breaking Bad. Yep. Three more months. Good stuff. Can't wait. Uh, and Bob Benson. Wait. Is Bob Benson the will? Wait. Sh- okay. Let me start. I'm getting ahead of myself. Sean in Florida asks, is Bob Benson the will to Jones Grace? As in the last episode, they're going to the beach and Bob was wearing some suspiciously short shorts. <laughs> this episode, she's on a date with someone else. There was a quick question from Ginsburg about his sexual orientation. Yeah, I mean. Fashion was a different animal back then. The beard fits. Wear it. <laughs> Joan, uh, will, Joan will be no man's beard. Thank you very much. Uh, we talked about Teddy's per- potential manipulation of Joan, or uh, Teddy's p- potential manipulation of Peggy. So we'll skip that. Mm-hmm. Joseph V. Can Don ever do a drug and not become a total hazard to himself? Survey says no. <laughs> yeah. Other than smoking weed with Megan in Hawaii, has there hasn't been one time he hasn't tripped mega balls and either almost killed himself or gotten the crap kicked out of him in some way. The guy could drink an oak barrel full of Canadian club, but it seems a contact buzz sends him off the cliff. Do you think Wiener is trying to tell us a story of Pete? The story of Pete that marijuana is a gateway drug to total madness and disaster? Uh, we could see him going from weed to hash to LSD, dressing like the Maharaji, and then reaching for that rifle. What are your thoughts? That would be spectacularly inaccurate from my personal worldview point of view, but I totally want to see uh-huh. Pete dressed like the Maharaji and reaching for that rifle with that exact same dead-eyed look on his face as, oh, as smoke's man. billowing out of his mouth. Snoop Lion-esque. Snoop Lion. Come on. Oh, Anthony B. from Jersey says, just a couple thoughts here. What do you make of Don's two sons sharing the same first names of Bobby Kennedy and Eugene McCarthy? This can't be a coincidence. I don't recall this being mentioned yet. Holy shit, you're right. Yep, you're right. I don't know what it means, but you're right. 
Yeah, I, yeah, sometimes that's all you can say. Maybe uh, Eugene's going to get the short end of the stick. I don't know. We're both going to be assassinated or, before yeah, the Bobby's end of the season. Gonna, no, I hope not. That's the crime scene, Don, scene in the poster. Oh. Small detail to bring up, but one of my favorite moments for 2001, A Space Odyssey, happens during the moon sequence when the astronauts are traveling to the site of the lunar monolith. Sandwiches are passed out. Haywood Floyd grabs one and asks if it's chicken. The man landing, uh, the man handling handing out the food says something like that. Tastes the same anyway. Being in a crash, Ted grabs a sandwich and says chicken salad or tuna, to which Fred replies, what's the difference? Eat it. Giving 2001 came out in the spring of 68. It just seems like an extremely obscure reference for such an iconic film at the time. But to me, a very intriguing <laughs> reference nonetheless. I wonder wow. if that is actually a reference to that movie. How can it not be? Right? God damn the wiener. Like, I feel like he's got a Rolodex of pop, pop culture references indexed by week of the year and year of the <laughs> yeah. century. Yeah, that's the thing. Planning out this series must be... He's, he must just have a calendar with events marked Yeah, uh, all day. He's got to have as many it. historians as he does fucking writers. Yeah. And he's got to have a piss pot full of them. <laughs> Jennifer in California says, Why would Joan be afraid of the other partners if she was a voting partner? Second, didn't Bob Benson say he was in accounting? How is it he just stole John, Joan's dream job? Just wondering, also not not loving the new name. Um, I think when it comes to Joan, uh, she is not she doesn't have as big of a vote. Yeah. Um, and also, I mean, look, Don was Don fired Lane. I mean, granted, it was over embezzlement, but he just fired him on the spot. So it's not like that can't happen. Well, know? I mean, I don't think she'd be fired, but she uh-huh. could lose this account forever and also never be allowed by in, in any other accounts, too. And also, yeah. did Bob Benson say he was in accounting? I thought – I can't I remember know. if he said accounting or accounts. Because if yeah. he's in accounting, sure. what the hell is he doing anywhere <laughs> in any of these creative meetings? Like, uh-huh. he's sat through multiple creative meetings taking notes and no one's batted an eye. Yeah. So I think he's an account man. He's just a very, very junior account man. You're probably right. I, I don't think he stole Jones' dream job. I think he was handed it. Yeah, I don't, he didn't nefarious even purposes. really want it. But but once it was offered to him, he was like, "Yeah, sure, I'll take that." Uh, I'm sure you heard by now that Wiener purposely had Megan dress at the end of the better half exactly like Sharon Tate in a photo shoot before she was murdered by Manson. What do you make of that? Also, the actor who plays Ted was on Tuesday's podcast with Adam Carolla for 40 minutes into the short interview. He was raised a Mormon. Interesting. Yeah, didn't know that. Um, so, so not much on the, the Sharon Tate thing here. I don't know anything about that whole uh, that whole ordeal. Tom and Lorenzo are basically saying that Mad Men doesn't usually telegraph by dress. That you know they basically find iconic people, but. Th- uh, what's her name? Uh, the girl who plays Megan has said that it was an intentional thing. Well, I'm they sure they purposely dressed her exactly like Sharon Tate. But they've like Tom Lorenzo gave several examples of you know um, Betty uh, dressed exactly like Grace Kelly, who okay. I believe died in an automobile accident. Yeah, and yeah. Betty has not died nor probably will die in an automobile uh, accident. They also showed multiple examples of Joan being dressed like um, uh, Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. And, and having the Marilyn Monroe look, but she's probably not going to overdose on pills. So you're saying so the they're fate saying of that character that, is not wrapped up in that. Well, that's what the, I, I was really totally on board. Megan dying 
because I don't know where they're going with her character that would be interesting. And that seemed like that would be something that maybe would scare Don straight and lead him onto a path of redemption that we'd see in season seven. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I don't know, because that's a, that's a compelling point. If, if, if the wiener and specifically the person he's got, who's their costumer, which I can't remember the lady's name, if that's mm-hmm. kind of her motif, then, you know, Sharon Tate would be a, the poster child for, Kind of like avant-garde 70s, you know, space queen looking makeup and and outlandish outfits, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Um, uh, What do you make of a theory that I've seen going around the internet where Matthew Weiner is actually going to finish Mad Men this season? (laughs) That And not there will be no 70s. That would be incredible. I think that would be incredible. And I can see the appeal... For a Sopranos vet to do something like that. The only person I could see doing that is Matt Weiner. And and honestly, to have me not be completely fucking outraged, it's got to be an epic <laughs> next three episodes. Yeah, yeah. And that's got to, that's going to be true of the final 13, honestly. Like, mm-hmm. there's, there's just like Breaking Bad, there's the, a lot of this show's legacy is going to be on how they manage to, to end things. And if he pulls some kind of Sopranos type, you know, fade to black and ambiguity shit, I'm not sure how prepared I'll be to accept that. I feel like he's going to, though, because every interview I've read with him about the ending of this series is him kind of saying he doesn't really want to have it's this It's not going to be cut and dry. It's yeah, be Don's ambiguous. not necessarily going to die, and we're not going to see, like, a big wrap-up for this thing. It's going to be more like, this is where we stop telling the story. Hmm. So you may very well be disappointed with the ending of this. But uh, I, I think it's too early to speculate on that, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, Allie from New York. I'm going to have to cut very short because we're running late. Mm-hmm. Her basic theory is that Ginsburg uh, is perhaps somewhere on the autism spectrum disorder. Okay. And she says... Uh, though it wasn't official diagnosis until the 90s, some of the greatest minds in history are thought to display characteristics of Asperger's, Asperger's rather, including <laughs> Einstein, Isaac Newton, Marie Curie, Mozart. Oh, that's not how you pronounce her name. Fuck. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, Mozart, uh, Bill Gates, Thomas Edison, maybe Michael Ginsburg is truly lightning in a bottle. Hmm. I can see that. Sure. I was too focused on this comment she makes about South Park with Cartman putting hamburgers in his ass and going to saying that he has Asperger's. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alex F. said, the scene where Bob Benson gives Ginsburg a pep talk was a thing of beauty. I put this mm-hmm. in the Facebook thread, but it's here too because I have strong feelings about this. Okay. Thank you, Alex, because most times I do not have, I, I do not, uh, have time to go through the Facebook yeah, the well, with me compiling the feedback, I never go to Facebook. Right, right. So it has to be a doozy, a, sh- a, a, a slam dunk doozy for me to put it into, for me to remember to copy it in show notes. Um, can we be done to theorize about Bob Benson? Like the idea he's some kind of secret <laughs> agent. I mean, really? I like to think that Mad Men is above pulling a cheap stunt like that. He's probably just a slick, ambitious businessman who takes motivational books really seriously and knows how to kiss ass. He might even be a genuinely nice guy beneath all the fakeness. 
I'm open to the theory that he's gay, though. I don't know how much difference there was in attitudes towards homosexualities in the late 60s versus early 60s, but it could be potentially be interesting to see how the office reacts to him in contrast to how the way they act to Saul and Kurt back in the day. Agreed. And last... I, I really don't want to give up my Bob Benson theories, but the more I see of him, the less I think he's some sort of nefarious character. Um, he might very well be nefarious, but he's not a secret agent. <laughs> I will put a about a month's it's, pay. It's up the on motivational the tapes. It's the motivational records that really started to break things up for me. Yeah, they're encoded subliminal message from Uncle Sam. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Moving on to Shep. Obviously this season is all about doors and doorways. The title of the episode, Don looking through the door as Dr. Rosen skis away, Roger telling a shriek Shrink that life is all about doorways. Don leaning on the door, hoping to hear Sylvia inside. Reflection of Don in the glass door before he approached Megan on the balcony at the end of episode 609. And probably a hundred other instances I'm not recalling at the moment. I don't have any brilliant theory to support these facts. I just think it's part of what makes the show so great. Indeed, Shep, it is. Yeah. And at, uh, in, in many ways, Mad Men truly is what you make of it. Sure. And it's one of the... It's... One of the few shows that really rewards kind of this level of uh, navel gazing, honestly. Breaking Bad is another one. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly there's other quality television shows right now, but the the, the layers that these uh, shows tend to to bring to the table are uh, something else. Definitely. That's it. No more feedback. Uh, yeah, I think that's a cast. All right. I've been, I've been casting with like five hours so far tonight. Oh, uh, that's nothing. You get another two hours in you, right? We're going <sighs> to cast about the new episode, the new season of Falling Skies. Fuck. Coming up on June 9th. <laughs> uh... All right. Well, hit us with the outro and uh, we'll get out of here. All right. Um, let's see if I can do this from memory because I don't have the notes in front of me. But uh, so we got emails to madmen <laughs> at baldmove.com. Uh-huh. You, got got the the emails, you got the Facebook. You got the you Facebook. Got the com slash madmen. No, no shit. Slash bald move. <laughs> where we do the rollicking weekly show mm-hmm. threads on there. It's pretty awesome. I think I'm going to put you on review as our outro guy <laughs> this week. Get someone else. I, I welcome it. It's been coming for months, Jim. All right. Finally, you can follow Jim, speaking of this fucker, at uh, twitter.com at bald move. That's how you get in touch with us. Mm hmm. And I'm done with my outro. <laughs> okay, I'm so anxious to turn this air conditioning back on uh, that we're going to cut the podcast off right here. All right, that's a random note. <laughs> All right, thanks everybody for listening. And until next week, I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. Bye-bye. <laughs>